stand with my computer on it. So, for myself, I guess. Sorry, Daniel. Uh, good morning. If you uh, if you're an elementary student and you need to go to class, uh, you can be released at this time. Whew, all right. Have fun, guys. Have you ever felt backed against a wall? Like, I don't have a wall behind me. It's way back there. But, like, backed against a wall or, like, stuck in a corner. You know, you're trapped. Between, you, you could call it trapped between a rock and a hard place. Like, you don't really have an out. There's, there's like, no out. Like, you, you can't go anywhere. You might call it an impossible situation. Um, and this could be entirely literal. You could literally be stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't know where you're going to find yourself stuck literally like that. I would say more often, you're going to find yourself metaphorically stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? You're going to find yourself stuck uh, between two difficult decisions, or life has hit you particularly hard recently, and, and you're not sure what's next. We would call that an impossible situation. Um, a couple years ago, I watched a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness, and in this movie, if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, in this movie, uh, the son tells his dad a story about a man lost at sea. So I'm going to tell that same story, except I'm going to tweak it a little bit uh, for, for this exact purpose. But this kid starts the story. He said a man was lost at sea, and he was floating on a plank of wood. Now, I don't have a plank of wood. I just have a stick. So it's going to be my plank of wood. I'm lost at sea. You know, make waves. We're here. I'm lost at sea. And, I, and I'm, I'm praying out to God. I say, Lord, please save me. Um, I'm stuck. I'm probably going to drown. Please save me. And a couple moments later, uh, a fishing boat comes up onto where this man is at. You know, it's puttering up. Like, boop, 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 boop. like it, it stops. The man casts out his line. He's like, dude, you look like you need saved. The man says, no, I don't need saved. Are you sure? Like, I have food and I have clothing and uh, safety from the water. He's like, nope, God's going to save me. Like, go on your way, catch your fish, do whatever you need to do. The man shrugs, and he takes his boat off into the horizon and then leaves. Again, the man calls out to God, Lord, please save me. I am going to drown. I don't want to drown. A couple moments later, this massive, I don't even, like, can't think of a bigger word, this massive cruise ship comes alongside, not even beside him, it's so big, comes, like, close to him from a distance because, you know, you get too close, he's definitely going to drown. Comes close to him, and from their PA system, they say, Sir, you look like you need help. Come aboard. We'll give you food, we'll give you clothes, we'll give you a hot tub, we'll give you a nice comfy bed, like we can save you. And he says, no, 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 God will save me. And they, they shrug and turn on their music and go off into the horizon, you know. Uh, again, the man struggling to stay afloat prays to God, Lord, please save me. I am I'm holding on for dear life, like I'm about to drown. And a couple moments later, this yacht, like, not, not a ship. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't float. It glides. This yacht glides up next to him. And it's Shaquille O'Neal. And he says, sir, come aboard my ship. I named it Free Throw because I know it won't sink. Come aboard my ship. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And, and the man says, no, I'm okay. Uh, I want your autograph when I am eventually saved. But no, uh, I'll be okay. Uh, Shaq shrugs. Misses a free throw and, and drives away, or floats away, whatever, glides away, and the man drowns. And when he gets before God, I don't know if he's in heaven or if he's in hell, when he gets before God, he's like, God, why didn't you save me? God's like, dude, I sent you three ships. I sent you Shaquille O'Neal. 
Like, what more sign do you need that you're saved? What more deliverance do you need? Sometimes, like the man in the story, we want our deliverance to look a certain way. We want our deliverance from our impossible situation to look a certain way. We don't want those people to save us. We don't want that money to save us. We don't want this house to save us. We don't want that God to save us. We have our own way that our deliverance looks. In the, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a people, a people group, they're called the Israelites, that dealt with this often. They often found themselves stuck in impossible situations, and they had their idea of how to get out, and God's idea for them was completely different. Uh, the, the story that we'll talk about today, actually, is the Exodus. Uh, the Exodus from Egypt, the, the namesake of the book of Exodus. Uh, they, um, they're running away from Pharaoh. They had just left Egypt. It was a whole, a whole thing. Moses, or Aaron, uh, with his staff, goes to, goes to Pharaoh 12 times, let my people go, and every single time, Pharaoh's like, no, they're mine. And after the 12th time, he, Pharaoh comes to him, like, leave, go, take your people. I don't want them. And Moses is like, yes, we won. Go, let's go. And so they get all the Israelites, and they leave, and they rush out. Uh, they take all their stuff, and they get a certain distance, and they run into a wall of water. I don't really have any water, but they run into a wall of water, the Red Sea, right? They have nowhere to go. They can't go that way because there's more sea. They can't go that way because there's more sea. They can't go back because Egypt's back there, and they can't go forward. They're stuck. And instead of getting down on their knees and praying or worshiping or asking God for help, they just throw a fit. Come on, Moses. Why would you have to bring us here? We were, we were fine in Egypt. Like, we had food. We had safety. We had shelter. Yeah, we were slaves, but we weren't stuck like this. The question to ask when you're faced with an impossible situation is how do we expect our deliverance to look? When we're seeking deliverance, how do we expect it to look? If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. It'll be on the screen, but I encourage you to look into your own uh, scripture. This is Exodus chapter 14. Like I said, the second book of the Old Testament. And to kind of frame it up for you again, the Israelites are stuck in an impossible situation. There's a, literally a wall of water to their back. They have nowhere else to go. And the events that follow, God will part the waters of the Red Sea and deliver his people from a seemingly impossible situation. So read with me, please. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Now, in the next couple of verses, uh, God explains kind of the point of what he's trying to accomplish here. Uh, he's trying, he wants to demonstrate to Israel and to Egypt his power. Uh, and it, it's not just for their sake. It's actually for the whole world's sake. Because in those days, history was passed through storytelling. Uh, so the stories that uh, that Israelite would tell his grandchild, tell his grandchild, tell his grandchild, talks about the wonder and the power and the glory of God. And God is saying in this moment, your gods are fake. Your idols are fake. I am the true God. In Israel, they're mine. And he proceeds to, to demonstrate that even more. He brings down a fireball, uh, the, the column of fire, to separate Egypt and Israel uh, to give them a little more time to kind of get going because they're being slow. You know, God's like, hurry up. I can't hold them for too much longer. You know, that type of thing. 
And uh, so he, he brings down the pillar of fire, and they're separated. And it continues in uh, verse 21. He says, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Today, we will be looking at God's means of deliverance for his people. Now, we just, talk, we just walked through that entire story, and we're actually going to do it one more time. We're going to dig a little deeper this time. And we're going to look at three ways that God delivers his people. And you might not see them at a first read, but they're there. We're going to talk about three of them. So in the first way, the first way that God delivers his people in impossible situations is through someone else's obedience. Sometimes, when we are faced with impossible situations, God delivers us through someone else's obedience. Sometimes other people's obedience is God's means of deliverance. Let's talk about this in that story. So Moses, he's right there at the edge of the sea, and God says, pick up your staff, raise your staff, and raise your right hand, and we'll part the waters of the Red Sea. What if Moses would have just stood there and been like, but God, this is my leaning stick. Like, I walk on this thing. I'm an old man. I don't want to put it above my head. That doesn't make sense. No, he didn't do that. He obeyed. His obedience led to the Israelites' salvation. I'm not saying God wouldn't have, have acted. I mean, throughout the whole story, the, stick that, uh, the staff that Moses uses is a symbol of God's power. Not just in this example, but also in the 12 plagues. Also for the wilderness walk to come, because spoiler alert, they survive. Um, his staff probably wasn't a 10-cent gift shop toy uh, that you would find at any museum or adventure walk or wherever you go. No, his staff was a symbol of God's power. His staff swallowed up the magician's serpents. His staff was placed in the Nile, which was the lifeblood of Egypt, and turned it to actual blood. His staff was raised above his head and parted the Red Sea. But his staff wasn't the power. God was the power. And God commanded Moses, raise your staff, and Moses obeyed. Sometimes other people's obedience is God's means of deliverance. Now, I don't know how this uh, looks in your life, um, but a couple of examples of how it could look is uh, maybe you are in a relationship that's not healthy. Maybe you're going through some things that aren't healthy. Maybe you and your spouse uh, aren't living a healthy life. And God's deliverance looks like sending someone else to talk to you about it. Maybe God is working in someone else's brain saying, hey, go talk to them. They need your help. Go talk to that pastor, or this pastor, tell a pastor, go talk to that person. Or a counselor, go talk to that person. Maybe your deliverance is not you just figuring it out on your own, but it's someone else coming in to give you advice. Maybe you're like me, and you tend to kind of close off people whenever you get stressed or anxious. You kind of throw up walls, you put yourself in this little bubble, and you're like, no, I'm okay, I'm good. No, I'm good, no, I'm good, no, I'm good. And you're lying to yourself, because you're not good. But you don't want to reach out to people, because you can take care of it yourself, right? And God's saying to you, my deliverance for you looks like someone else coming and wrapping their arms around you. Someone else coming alongside you and picking you, picking you up along the way. Maybe you've recently lost a loved one, and it hurts, and it's deep, and you just want to throw people away, cast them out. No, I'm okay. And God's deliverance looks like people walking around you and picking you up and crying with you, bearing that burden with you. Whatever your 
deliverance looks like, whatever your impossible situation looks like, God has placed us in a community, literally your community, of believers to wrap their arms around you and to walk through these impossible situations with you, to walk through the darkness with you. So if that's the first way, here's the second way. The second way that God delivers his people is through our own personal obedience. If the first way over here uh, was outer obedience, someone else's obedience, that's the first way. The second way is inner obedience. It's your personal obedience. Sometimes your, de- your deliverance just comes from saying yes, saying, God, I'll trust you, saying, God, I'll do it. So Moses over here, you know, puts up his hands and parts the sea. And what if the Israelites would have been like, God, we're waiting. And he's like, turn around. And we're like, ooh, that's a cool, like, display of your power. That's, that's pretty cool. He's like, go through it. No, that's scary looking. You know, finding Nemo, and he's like, through it, not over it. Through it, not over it. They don't want to go through that. They're, they're, they're terrified. No, they walked through it, but it was their choice. Sometimes we miss that it was their choice. They had to choose to leave Egypt. They had to choose to trust that the ground was dry. They had to choose to trust that the water would not crash over them. It was their own obedience, their own trust. So the first way, Moses had to obey God's command. The second way, the Israelites had to trust God's command. In our life today, we're kind of faced with some similar situations, right? We find ourselves in situations where it's just kind of on our own to be obedient. Other people aren't going to be around to help us. Maybe you're stuck between two, like, pretty heavy decisions. Do we buy that house or do we stay in this house? Do we follow that career in a different city? Or do we go on the other side of the planet and follow that career? Or do we stay here? My husband just died. Do I just sit and weep and do nothing? My, my, my wife just died. Do I sit and weep and do nothing? We're faced with all these decisions, and sometimes God tells us to trust him, to, to go through a door and follow that path and trust him, not just sit and do nothing, not just wait for him to do something in our life. He says, oh, go, I'll be with you. Trust me, I'll be with you. Even, you know, sometimes you might get to a point where he closes that door, but in the meantime, go through that door and trust him. A couple years ago, actually a year ago, I was about to finish, I guess it was November, or fall, I was about to finish school in, in the May that was coming, but I was done with school. I was driving an hour, like three days a week to go to Joplin to go to school. I was working here, I was already like kind of into ministry, and I was like, I don't want to finish school, I don't want to get grades, like I don't want to do any of that. And I, I kind of like started losing like tracking my faith too. I was like, no, I just, I just want to be stagnant. I just want to sit I want to play video games. I want to do nothing. I don't want to, I don't want to try anymore. I don't want to give any more money, nothing like that. And uh, through the guidance of some mentors and my parents and my wife, they, they, said, uh, they said, no, like, look to Scripture. And so uh, at that time, also, I was in a, in a class going through Isaiah. And so I was, like, reading through Isaiah, and uh, Isaiah, like, went. Isaiah was called and went and God was with him the whole time. And I was like, oh, dang it, you're right. Okay, so I, I finished, I graduated, and I'm actually like going back to more school. So something in there clicked differently. But, um, but maybe the impossible situation that you're in does not end in outer obedience. 
maybe it doesn't come from someone else. Maybe the uh, situation you're in doesn't call for your own obedience. Maybe you won't be delivered from being obedient. I mean, we've all ran into that. Sometimes the only way out of an impossible situation is for God to get his hands dirty. Now, I'm not trying to convey that God just, like, sits up there on his throne and, like, watches over us and says, oh, watch this. Oh, he's going to fail. No, I, I think he's present and active all the time. I think he's in our lives. But sometimes he decides to have a little bit more, uh, action, take a little more action uh, than others. In this case, I mean, you see it pretty clearly. Um, the Israelites are backed against the wall. Moses has his hands raised. He's like, hurry up, God, they're coming. The Egyptians are back there, stopped by fire. And God sends an east, an east wind. God parts the waters. God dries the ground. God sends the fire. God sends a pillar of cloud. And when the Egyptians eventually, uh, when, he, when, he, when, he remo- when God removes the fire and the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites, God confuses their minds. God confuses their horses' minds. God causes them to crash and to be confused. It's a frenzy so Israel can escape. God does all of this. So God commands Moses, and he obeys. Through that command, the Israelites obey and trust, and ultimately God parts the waters of the Red Sea. Now there's some details in there, like if you have grown up like me, where you hear this story like every single year in Sunday school, and then you read it in your Bible, it just becomes like old news, right? You're like, oh yeah, God parted the waters, here we go, okay, they walk through, they're saved, Israel's saved, woohoo. It's like, no, God did everything. God dried the ground. Like, that's an important step. He could have parted the waters, but if he didn't dry the ground, they're sinking. They're not walking. He parted, he, he dried the ground. If I poured some water up on stage here, I could, like, vacuum it up or, like, kick it away, but to some extent, the ground would still be dry. I mean, we could use modern technology to dry it up quicker, but God did it like that. No fan, no leaf blower, no heat gun. God did it like that. Sometimes God's deliverance uh, looks like his own action. It's his power over his creation for his people. His power over his creation for his people. Now, sometimes, you know, we could... We, we, we could try to do this with our own power. Like, we could, we could make a tunnel through water. We could get some dry ground and not have water touch it, right? A year ago, summer ago, my family and I went to St. Louis, and we went to the St. Louis Aquarium uh, in St. Louis. And, you know, we weren't in St. Louis for the aquarium, because go Cardinals. We were in St. Louis for the aquarium. Or for, for, we were at the aquarium, sorry. In this aquarium, uh, it was pretty cool, uh, they had like an inner aquarium. Like you go to an aquarium and then you go to an aquarium. I don't know the different word for it. And they had a tunnel that went through the aquarium. Like literally a tunnel. Like all around you was water. You stopped by glass. And you could see sharks. And you could see schools of fish. And you could see gliding stingrays. You could see all of this all around you. And you're like walking right under it. I think I remember saying like, you think this is cool. Like imagine what the Israelites were looking at. When you guys have seen, I had that picture up there. You've seen um, Moses, Prince of Egypt, uh, the, the DreamWorks movie, right? That, that beautiful scene, the beautiful shot where, and I don't know if you guys know this, but like animated shows used to like draw their illustrations. Like it wasn't all just like computerized. Someone drew this illustration of this wall. Yeah, there you go. This wall of water. Uh, and, and 
at one point, you can you see the whale just like swimming by. Uh, actually, my grandpa sent me a Facebook meme. I don't have it. I wish I did. I don't have it up here. Sent me a Facebook meme a while back of a fish that was late to work. And he was late to work, and his boss was yelling at him, why are you late? He was like, he wouldn't believe me if I tried to explain it. And it literally shows the fish, like, stopped, and the wall of water is cutting him off from his way of work. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's God's power, right? That's insane. We can't do that in the, in the snap of a finger. His power was used to deliver his people literally through the depths of the Red Sea. His power for his people over his creation. Sometimes God's power is ultimate, and that is our deliverance from destruction. His power over his people, for his people, over his creation. How's that for making waves, right? Now, um, I don't want to, like, act like supernatural intervention, God's action, uh, won't happen in your life. But I also don't want to promise that it will. I'm not the one that can do that or promise that. Um, but three years ago, I was a student at Ozark, uh, and I was on camp teams. And our first camp that we went to that summer uh, was near St. Louis. And um, throughout the trip, um, I got close to some students, and those students wanted to play flag football. And I was like a worker, so I officiated the flag football. And one of the students, uh, trying to get a flag in perfect high schooler method, dove full out, like full extension to grab the flag. And he missed, and when he hit the ground, he dislocated his knee, like bad. That thing swelled up like a balloon, and it was purple, and it was bloody. And I was like, Ozark did not equip me for medical training. So anyways, uh, it was bad enough that he was going to have to go home. Not one that I could just be like, okay, uh, hold a friend's finger and bite this stick and I'll set it. No way, I'm not doing that. Uh, it was bad enough that he was going to have to go home. And this kid was a fringe kid. This kid was a kid that just came to camp because his, his, uh, his friend invited him, uh, but really didn't know anything about Jesus. But I spent the whole week with him and I could tell God's doing something in this kid's life. And he did not want to go home. Not just because home was a bad place, but because he felt like God was moving in his life. And so he, he asked me, he says, Luke, or he tells me, Luke, I don't want to go home. I was like, I don't know what to say. Like, I, can't, I can't make that decision for your dad. I can't make that decision for you. He's like, well, will you pray for me? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll pray for you. And so I had never prayed for a healing before. I didn't know if there was, like, words I'm supposed to say or what I'm supposed to do. But I put, just put my hand on his shoulder, and I just prayed that God would send his hand of healing over this kid's heart, over his mind, and over his leg. So that not just that he's healed, but so that he can stay and experience the love and grace of Jesus. And I, you know, I said, I'm in, and he wasn't healed. He was still laying there, and he was like, it didn't work. And I was like, well, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and so I, I went to bed that night, and got, got up the next day and ate breakfast, and uh, I heard shouting outside. And so I get up, I finish my breakfast, and I go outside, and he runs up to me. This kid couldn't even touch his toe to the ground, and he runs up to me. He's like, Luke, my leg is better. He's like jumping up and down. I was like, whoa, 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 we don't know if it's better. He's like, no, it's better. He like rolls up his shorts. The swelling is gone. The cuts are gone. The dislocation is gone. His leg, his leg was healed. And he was better. And I pulled him aside and I was like, okay, man, never done this, like never been through this before. That's not me. That wasn't me. Like 
like, I prayed for it, but that's God's power. And that week she talked about testimony. And I was like, dude, this is your testimony. Like, go home and tell this story. Because God saved you so you could be at camp. And ultimately, God saved you. Right? Crazy story. Um, but what does this mean for us? One doesn't often find themselves trapped in an impossible situation like this. We're, normally, I don't think any of us are going to be running from some Egyptians. You know, Pharaoh, like, come back. I want my slaves. You know, whatever. We're not going to find us. The only body of water we can get stuck against is the, is the Fort Scott Lake. And I'm pretty sure we can go around it. Like, we're not going to find ourselves in a situation like this. But we do find ourselves in impossible situations. And we do live in a broken, broken world, ravaged by, by sin and by death. And actually, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Moses had a piece of wood that he, he raised in the sky. But God sent his son to die on a piece of wood that was placed in the ground for our sin. God sent his son to die for our sin. Now, this, this action of sending his son actually kind of checks off all three ways that we talked about of, of deliverance. You know, like he, he said, Jesus, go die on the cross. And Jesus went and obeyed and died on the cross. He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's outer obedience. That's someone else's obedience. Someone else's obedience led to our deliverance. But that's not the only way. The second way, we have to accept it, right? It's inner obedience, our own obedience. We have to accept that he's our savior. We have to accept that we're going to put our faith in him. We have to accept that we're going to obey his word and do as he commands, not just at church on Sundays, not just at youth group on Wednesdays, but every single day. That's inner obedience. The last way is God's power. I can't raise someone from the dead. I can't heal somebody's leg, but God can and God did. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and resurrected him three days later so we would be saved from ultimate destruction. We'll say it again. What started for Moses with a, a simple piece of wood raised in the sky, a symbol of God's power, ended for us with a piece of wood in the ground holding our Savior, a symbol of God's power. We put it up everywhere because we know this is our identity. This is who we are. This is our deliverance. Damien is going to show us that later today, and I'm so excited. That's so cool. This is our deliverance. Now, I don't know what deliverance looks like for you. But wherever you find yourself needing deliverance, whether it's from somebody else, or it's, or it's from your obedience, or it's God's action, wherever you find yourself needing deliverance, it ultimately comes from Jesus. You could be stuck in an impossible situation, and God calls you to look to Jesus. When we are faced with impossible situations, look to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for this opportunity. Um, and I, I really want to thank you for, for your deliverance, for your um, for your faithfulness to us, for your power, for your calls to our obedience, Lord. Your calls to be obedient. And when we are, God, your power is unlike anything we've seen before. 
I want to thank you for what you've done for us today. I want to thank you for what you did for us 2,000 years ago. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke, I'm going to have you stay up here for a minute. This is uh, Luke's last day with us as a member of our staff team. Luke's been a resident uh, since November. Um, and so uh, this is this is like nine months almost, almost to the T. So uh, if you appreciated Luke and all that he's done for our church, would you just show that to him? His appreciation. Yeah. So uh, Luke uh, is getting ready to step into a seminary, get a, a master's degree, uh, and will be a bit of a guinea pig. Uh, yeah. Ozark Christian College is, is just beginning um, some postgraduate uh, stuff, and so um, going to get a master's degree from Ozark. He'll be one of the first ever to have a master's degree, even though there are people who claim to have a master's degree from Ozark. They don't actually exist. Uh, so Luke, we, we sure appreciate you all that you've done uh, for our students and uh, for our church. And so I just want to pray for you and Gabri, that God would continue to lead you. And uh, then we'll, we'll get to the fun part of our service where kids get on stage and sing, which is the best. Okay. Uh, Father God, uh, thank you for Luke. Uh, thank you for his wife, Gabri. Thank you for the way that they have served our body here. Um, God, they've, they've given of their time. They've given of their talent. And God, they have... Um, they have been shepherds, uh, they have been counselors, they have been uh, people who have, have stepped up when, when it's needed. And Father, I know that, uh, that Luke is eager uh, to take further steps into ministry and into kingdom work, and God, I pray that you'll direct his steps. God, I pray that his heart would be uh, soft and receptive um, to how you will lead him next. Um, and God, I pray that in this next season, um, Lord, of studying and preparing, um, God, that you would equip him that you would prepare him for exactly uh, what needs to take place next in his life. And God, I pray that, that when the timing is right, you'll open the door of that opportunity. And God, he'll be ready to walk through it. Uh, God, we're so thankful for them, all they've given to us and to students here and to children and uh, to families, God, as they've come alongside. And so, God, we, we say thank you for Luke and for Gabri and ask that you would direct them as they step in.